0: Section 13 of The Sainted Queens. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Sainted Queens by Unknown. Saint Clotildus, Queen of the Franks. Chapter 1. The cradle of the German tribe, celebrated in history as the Franks or the Freeman lay to the east of the rhine in the country bounded by the maine and the Weser, and now divided into nassau hesse castle westphalia and part of hanover two centuries and a half after christ they are found making frequent excursions across the rhine partly in search of plunder partly of adventure the roman governors of gaul had enough to do to keep them at bay and were often glad to bargain for their services as an advanced guard along the Rhine, to oppose the savage tribes lying to the eastward, the Vandals, the Goths, and the Huns. These hordes at length grew irrepressible, and the Franks were gradually pushed westwards before them. The last part of Gaul, that remained in possession of the Romans, lay to the north of the river Loire, between the Rhine and the German Ocean. To the south of the Loire, the rising kingdom of Burgundy, occupied the eastern part, and the Gothic tribes the western and southern parts of modern France and the Mediterranean shore. The German tribe of the Franks, by degrees, overran the whole of the country, between the Rhine and the Atlantic, and gave the name of France to the ancient Gallia of the Romans. As a race, however they seem to have been chiefly confined to the modern countries of holland and belgium and that part of france lying to the north of the Loire. their other possessions to the south of that river partook more of the nature of a military occupation as a race they never fully absorbed into their own the incongruous tribes which were forced to yield to their arms the transition of the franks from a predatory tribe into a rising nation must be assigned to the period of Clovis I, the founder of what is called the Merovingian race of kings, from their military eminence towards the close of the fifth century four hundred eighty-six. On the death of his father at Torni, then the chief seat of the tribe, Clovis found himself at their head, and although still very young, he soon made the name of the Franks terrible to his neighbors. His first great success was at Soissons, where he dealt a fatal blow to the declining power of the Romans beyond the Alps, and compelled Sigarius, the governor of Gaul, to take refuge at Toulouse with Alaric, chief of the Visigoths. Flushed with success, Clovis sent an imperative command to Alaric to deliver up the fugitive, a command which the barbarian felt it most prudent to obey. Sigarius, was sent back a prisoner and after a while was secretly put to death by the terrible frank from soissons clovis fought his way to the seine and thence as far as the lawyer idolater as he was he had policy enough to make him respect the christian institutions which he found in his way and from his experience of the difficulty of repressing the rapacious habits of his followers he generally contrived to avoid the large towns on his route where the property of the christian church was chiefly accumulated in this way he refrained from entering the town of rheims at that time the residence of saint Remy. some of the frank soldiers however not so scrupulous managed to pillage the church and among their booty to carry off a waste of exquisite workmanship the bishop sent a deputation of his clergy to clovis to request the restoration of this treasure. The chief received them with courtesy, invited them to follow him to Saussons, where the booty was collected, and compelled the thief to restore what he had taken. An attack of the Thuringians, a German tribe, to the eastward of the Weser, on the frank possessions beyond the Rhine, next occupied the military talent of Clovis. As before with the Romans, he again drew everything before him, and made his name feared, from the Wieser to the Pyrenees. It now became part of the policy of Clovis to ally himself by marriage with a princess of some Gallic family. He had already established a friendly understanding with the little court of Burgundy, as a mutual protection against their common enemy and neighbor, the formidable Alaric. The emissaries of Clovis to this court had returned to him, full of the praises of the princess. Crotildis, or clotildis a niece of gondibod the reigning king her father Chuperic, her mother and all of her brothers but one had been dispatched by Gondebaud to clear his own way to the throne he had hitherto spared the lives of his two nieces thinking them too young to be dangerous to him clotildis lived at her uncle's seat her sister crona was in a convent Although surrounded in her childhood by Arians, young Clotildis was trained in the Catholic faith, and as her character developed itself with her years, her unaffected piety added an indescribable charm to the gifts of mind and of person with which nature had endowed her. The terrible tragedy of her childhood had early taught her the vanity of rank, especially during a period of lawlessness, like the age in which she lived. The reputation of the handsome princess of Burgundy, for sweetness, for innocence, and for wit, made her an object of interest to neighboring courts. Clovis, hearing of her attractive qualities, sent another embassy to solicit the hand of the princess Clotildes from her uncle. The guilty conscience of Gondebaud suggested to him the risk that might attend the marriage of his niece with the king of the Franks what if her husband should also espouse her quarrel and vindicate her father's wrongs and her own with his terrible sword on the other hand the guilty man felt the danger of irritating so redoubtable a warrior as clovis by a refusal to be almost equal to the danger of acceding to his request gondebaud therefore temporized he affected willingness to accept the frank as a suitor for his niece but raised a difficulty against the marriage of a Christian princess with an idolater. The representative of Clovis, who had by this time secured the consent of Clotildis herself, made light of this objection, and the king, reduced to his last shift, pretended to resent the acceptance which his niece had accorded to the proposal without his concurrence. The young princess behaved with much spirit on the occasion, she longed for deliverance from the tyranny of her wicked uncle, and therefore bade the frank ambassador urge his suit with all the energy possible, so as to anticipate the return of a courtier of her uncles from Constantinople, who had been his accomplice in her father's murder, and who would certainly put a stop to her marriage. Gondebaud gave way at last, through fear, and the marriage having been celebrated by proxy, the young princess set out from Chalons on the Saône, in the covered cart drowned by oxen. This slow mode of travelling did not suit the anxious haste of Clotildis to get safely out of her uncle's power. She prevailed on the ambassador of her husband, who attended her, to finish the journey on horseback, and leave the cart to follow by easy stages. If she could only feel herself fairly out of Burgundy, all would be well." Her deliverance was not effected a moment too soon. The wicked counsellor of Gondebaud had meanwhile returned from his mission to the east and had persuaded the king to annul the marriage and recall his niece. Mounted soldiers followed on her track and seized the empty cart, but by that time Clotildis was safe across the border of Burgundy and soon reached Soissons, where Clovis welcomed her. An hour or two, earlier or later, a mile or two faster or slower on so trifling a preponderance of the balance is providence often pleased to make the most momentous consequences depend end of chapter one of st clotilde's queen of the franks end of section thirteen